Hello and welcome to Bookable Space. I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton, and today we're joined by Jane Austen. Jane will be reading from and talking about her book, Renegade. Jane, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. It's very exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm excited. And I also love being read to. So anytime I have an opportunity to be read to, I just can't wait. So we'll just dive right in. And could you please tell us a bit about Renegade and what influenced you to write it? Right. Well, it's essentially about Justin as a young political radical in the 1970s and today as a professor and establishment figure in a university in Leeds, actually. And his comfortable existence is completely shattered when his past as a one-time anarchist bomber is revealed. And even his wife, Harpreet, doesn't know what he's done in the name of the People's Militia in 1972. And his life is completely turned upside down as the story unravels. It's actually loosely based on a real-life group at the time called um, the Angry Brigade. Wow. So could we have a first reading, please? Yes. I'm going to um, read you from the opening. And it opens up with Justin's fear that Sanjay, his beloved son, is um, going to become radicalised and follow his girlfriend, Farida, to Syria. Sanjay works in a bike shop, and this is where we find them. Justin lowered himself gently into a sofa at Mellow Yellow Cafe, trying not to spill a brimming mug. He looked at his son, dismantling a bike with ease, and Sanjay smiled back. The boy was in his element, with like-minded 20-somethings, who put together a business plan and were making a go of it. It wasn't the career he'd imagined for his son, but the world had changed. There was a scattering of newspapers for old geezers like you, Sanjay had taken pains to say. He took a scalding sip of Colombian coffee and picked up the Guardian. He flipped through it out of habit, then did a double take. A little-known revolution in northern Syria, the Kurds, have created a utopian area based on cooperation, an ecological society committed to women's liberation, Rojava. The background blare from the local radio station was interrupted by a news flash in a bizarre moment of synchronicity. A South Yorkshireman has died in Rojava, Syria, the first Briton, killed while fighting against ISIS, joined a mobile guerrilla unit, hit by a missile launched by Islamic State militants. Justin's heart pounded. His instinct was to get up and warn Sanjay, but he forced himself back into his seat. Rajava stuck like a barb under the skin. It was where Farida planned to volunteer in some women's group, and Sanjay had talked of a sponsored bike ride. It sounded innocent. Farida was her own woman, and Sanjay would follow her to the ends of the earth, Justin knew that. He tried to relax and took a slug of the licorice black liquid, then studied the familiar decor with its posters of bikers in colourful flocks flying up down in improbable gradients. He could be overreacting, given recent events, his own past under scrutiny. The risks he'd taken and decisions he'd made shouldn't overshadow Sanjay, though agent experience counted for something. Harpreet accused him of being controlling, while he blamed her for mollycoddling. 
This old friction was petty in the greater scheme, particularly if Sanjay was caught up with the cause in a far-flung corner of Syria nobody knew much about, except that people got blown up there. Sanjay was by his side. Hey, Dad, you okay? You look a bit out of it. Justin looked through rather than at him and tried to block the inane babble on the radio. I don't like the idea of Farida going to Rajava. Do you know how dangerous it is? It's a lot less dangerous than most parts of Syria. What's brought this on? Justin thrust the newspaper article under his nose. This, for starters, and the lad from South Yorkshire who got himself killed. But I suppose you knew about that. It's an unholy mess over there, Sanjay, with Turkey, Russia and the US fighting for control. Don't get mixed up in it. What if Farida wants you to follow her? Sanjay looked at his phone. Give over, Dad. I haven't got time for this. It's not what you think, believe me. We'll talk about it more once Mum comes back. Where is she? In a hotel on the moors where they lock up lawyers for a week and retrain them. She'll be back next week. He examined the floor, despising himself for this half-truth. Sanjay touched his shoulder. I get why you're super sensitive about me being involved, but uh, I know what I'm doing, Dad. Anyway, it's up in the air. Frida hasn't even been accepted. Accepted for what? He wanted to ask. Maybe we could go for a ride sometime. Sanjay was already on his feet. Sure thing, Dad. Must get back to work. Thanks for dropping by. He watched Sanjay's bouncing steps, sporting leg muscles like knotted rope. He levered himself as his grown-up son got on with his life. He shook his head as if to dislodge the email that kept replaying like an earworm and left him spinning. Dear Professor Catherine, my name is Stephen Scott. You knew my father, Max, who died last year. My mum has since found his prison memoirs, and he writes quite a lot about you. Could we meet sometime? I'd like to understand more about his life back then. Work sometimes brings me to Leeds. Oh, wonderful. You know, this is a perfect segue into my question. (laughs) (laughs) I love that it's set in Leeds. So can you tell us a little bit about the main characters and also what Leeds makes possible? Well, Leeds is a place I know I used to work in Leeds, a further education college. Part of it is also in Sheffield, which I used to know quite well because I I also lived there. Justin's father lives in, in Sheffield and I lived in York. So it, it's set in the north, I suppose it's fair to say. And that was important to me. The reason I wrote it was um, I think I wanted to capture the energy and excitement of far left politics in the 70s and 80s. And to ask, you know, what would happen to a man you know, confronted years later by the reckless actions of his youth? I think to ask, how do we integrate our past and present selves and and come to an understanding of who we are now and what we've become? And I think Justin, although he's an extreme example, we all face this question as you know, life smooths the sharp edges and, and we ourselves become fuller and more rounded. Justin's case, he tried to bury the actions of, of the past while, you know, hanging on to his image of a, a man with progressive left-wing views. And, and this is where my own story comes in, because I was a political activist in the 80s, actually 10 years later, <laughs> and saw it firsthand, the workings of you know various left-wing groups. 
And part of my reason for joining was to champion the role of women in politics in the workplace. And I, I got a, I was in my late twenties, early thirties. I got a job on the railway as a guard, which was an absolute no-go area for women. And a, a group of us, other women, worked together to discuss and coordinate our political work. And in the wider world, it was a time of, you know, revolutions in Latin America, of Thatcherism, privatization, and, and of course, the miners' strike in 84, 85, when, you know, trade unions were in full swing. So I think I wanted Renegade to reflect the spirit of, of hope and, and adventure of those tumultuous years. I love how place and experience feed into the book and make it so that people who either remember or live through or are reading about or hearing about or talking about with relatives um, some of those experiences and looking at what's going on today. Mm-hmm. And then also that it's set in the North where we're talking a lot in publishing and in writing about regional stories and kind of how that affects readers and readers in those places, seeing themselves kind of represented on the page. So it just sounds like such a timely book. No matter when we open it, we'll be looking at conflicts around the world, but also looking at place and our places in it. So what a timely book that you've written. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Could we have another reading, please? Yes, um, certainly. The next reading is um, Justin's initiation into planting a bomb. And this is on the eve of the Miss World contest in 1970. And it was intended to expose the way women were paraded like cattle for, for profit and entertainment. And actually was soon followed by the bomb that actually sent his comrade Max to jail. That's another story. Who watched Robert and Callum drop to their knees behind a square white BBC van parked up for the night. Rob nursed a carrier bag from which Callum took the bomb and placed it tenderly under the back axle. It was a simple enough device, using a blasting cartridge and a length of slow-burning fuse. He stood rigid, nerves zinging as the seconds stretched. His ears tuned in as police sirens wailed in the distance. A pigeon flapped skyward and his heart lurched as he shivered inside his donkey jacket. Justin did his best to appear casual, ambling along with hands plunged deep into pockets, counting the seconds under his breath. Setting a fuse wasn't an exact science. The bomb could go off at any moment. Rob and Callum were on their feet at last, putting distance between themselves and the van. Rob, shorter, pedalled the air next to Callum, who ran with long, loping strides, cutting a striking figure in his shaggy Afghan coat hair streaming. A plume of flame soared overhead, followed by a roar that rent the air, and Justin took to his heels, leaving devastation behind. The explosion, followed by silence, brought an aged insomniac to the window of his flat in Kensington Gore, an unlikely witness to Justin's debut as an urban gorilla. By then, the three were weaving through the streets to the safety of the squat, the burnt-out carcass of the BBC van, destined not to broadcast the Miss World contest, would soon be replaced. Wow. So I imagine that there was a fair bit of research to go into writing the book. 
and then I'm always, I'm super nosy. So I'm always curious about what you might have found that didn't make its way into the book. It was super interesting, but no place for it in the book. Well, there was actually well, a lot of research that went in to um, looking at the angry brigade to get a sense of, you know, how they were thinking and, and acting. Though, of course, my characters are completely different. The character amongst them that I, I researched in particular was Anna Mendelssohn, one of the convicted bombers who always declared her innocence. And as it happens, I came across her in person in the mid-70s when I was working as a teacher in Holloway Prison. And that's just by the by. But she wrote volumes of poetry and prose with, you know, with extraordinary illustrations published under the name of Grace Lake. And I had wanted to include some lines of hers, but um, this didn't really work. However, when I was preparing for this interview, I Googled her and discovered there's um, an exhibition of her work at Whitechapel Gallery, which is just down the road from me, called Speak Poetess. She donated, her, her children donated all her work to uh, Sussex University. And this is something that's come out of it. So it felt like an amazing coincidence. How exciting. I feel like it feels like more than a coincidence. And oh my goodness that you met her. Like how awesome that you <laughs> you you actually met her in life as well. Uh, I didn't actually meet her. She was on the same, the um, A-wing, as they called it, the long-term wing, along with Hilary Creek, who was her, the two of the women who were jailed for this. So I just saw them from afar. I was teaching a, a different student, actually, who, uh, well, prisoner, who, as it happens, was a great friend of uh, Anna Mendelssohn's. Oh, Wow. And we have our final reading for you. Yes. So this is um, between Justin and Harpreet. And when Justin finally tells Harpreet about his uh, misspent youth, there is one almighty row. They've been married for many, many years, and she can hardly believe what she's hearing now. Harpreet studied him intently. You made a collective vow of silence and lived with willful amnesia in order to reinvent yourself. I'm trying to understand you, Justin. I really am. Was this true? You'd chosen to forget and created an identity of the good guy sniping from a safe distance? Is that how Harpreet and the world would see him? When he didn't reply, she said, Do you know what I think? You're having a late-life crisis. Things are going badly at work, and now Stephen has walked into your life threatening your reputation, and you're filled with self-pity. His heart pounded. Okay, I get it. I'm white, middle class, and male, tilting at windmills from the bastions of academic privilege. Is that what you think? You've been happy enough to pander to that version of me all these years. It was the version of yourself that you chose to show me until now. She looked over at the improbably bright painting they chosen because it reminded them of their walks at Bolton Abbey, picking their way across the stepping stones. I can't help thinking of my parents and their choices. Survival for us meant playing by the rules. It's what they drummed into me. Study hard, adapt, don't draw attention to yourself. When we first arrived in Leeds, we shared a house with distant relatives who resent us, resented us occupying a room in their cramped space and their daughter was embarrassed to walk to school with me. 
I soon learnt to scuff my shoes and speak Yorkshire, much to my parents' annoyance. Your kind of rebellion wasn't an option for a refugee and a girl. I became a lawyer to tackle injustice from within the system you derided. Her look was steely. I think this is the first time the difference in our backgrounds has mattered. You've been transformed from loving husband to self-regarding imposter. Was there a way back? He retreated to that first shimmering summer when they courted. For courting it was. It had been a slow getting to know one another. Walking out, as Halfweet's mum put it, which at its most intimate meant holding hands in the park. But then, Halfweet looked up at him for his brains and experience. The balance had shifted. Wow. So, Jane, where can we buy Renegade? Well, um, at, you know, the usual online outlets such as Amazon and other Waterstones, there's uh, in York Library, it's called York Explore Library, that there is a complete set for book groups, which can be borrowed. Actually, it's now on the shelf at my own local library in Whitechapel. There's a blog which people may want to look at. It's um, it's where I talk about reading, writing, what inspires me, and tips for writers. And it's at janeaustinauthor.com. Wonderful. I'll make sure to put that in the um, the caption so that people can click and go to visit and sign up. Thank you so much for being my guest, for reading to us and talking to us about Renegade. Oh, it's, it's been such a pleasure and revived me as a writer because I'm, you know, I'm writing a third novel, actually, but sometimes one needs some outside inspiration and you're certainly that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> what a kind thing to say.